It's all part of the plan. DC Talk right here on Get Into Gig, Episode 9. My name is Mitch, talking all things DC on the big and little screen. Yes, we only had an episode a couple of days ago, but as I said in that ep, we're counting down the days until likely James Gunn is the person to present to us a taste of the upcoming new DC Universe slate. Whatever that means, I don't know, but we're going to hear about it in January, the man said. And right now, that means we are less than five days away from getting something. It's been a big week for DC, though. We have a new Lex Luthor. The upcoming Season 3 of Superman and Lois is going to see Michael Cudlitz take on the iconic villain role. Now, you might know Cudlitz best for his work as Abraham on The Walking Dead, but he also had that long season run on Southland opposite the one-time James Gordon in Ben McKenzie and more recently on Clarice. And when reports broke during the week, Cudlitz took to his own Twitter and simply wrote, Holy crap, I cannot wait to join this amazing cast and tag the show along with linking the EW article. One thing I'm really excited about with his casting, he always poses Luther, a really intellectual and calculating threat to Superman. But surely with Cudlets taking on the role, we'll see Luther pose a physical threat too. Yes? How? I guess we'll see, but surely we're not going to waste the size and intimidating nature of this man when it comes to facing Superman. That show, of course, comes back on March 15th. This whole podcast came back to life, coincidentally, but still, in the wake of numerous DC TV shows being cancelled. And now, sadly, two more have faced the chop. No doubt we've all seen the news this week. Titans and Doom Patrol both receiving their marching orders and will end with their current fourth seasons. Both shows are midway through what's now going to become their final run and are going to air the remaining episodes sometime in 2023. The respective showrunners, of course, releasing the usual, thanking their cast and crews as well as the fans for keeping the shows alive. But it didn't take long for some of those fans to throw the blame James Gunn's way. Gunn was hit up on Twitter by a fan saying, With Doom Patrol and Titans officially ending due to the new direction of James Gunn and Safran, all the fans can say is good luck. It's a mighty big hill you now have to climb to win the majority of fans over who enjoyed those shows and movies. I'll be kicking my feet up, waiting. Now, Gunn, in his usual not-biting-back-but-informing way of responding, he replied with, The decision to end the series precedes us, but I certainly wish the best for the talented group of creators, actors, and the rest of the crew that produced both shows. Now, I don't want to run through the entire timeline on Twitter, but one reply did ask, Right, but if you are now in charge, presumably you could have worked Doom Patrol at least into the new direction you were going. It is one of the most interesting, well-done shows from DC in forever. Gunn did reply to that one as well and said, that's not how TV works. But did expand on it later by adding, because we produce TV shows, we don't program streamers or networks. We can't snap our fingers and make any show run indefinitely. Now, while he's right, yes, they can't make a network or a streaming giant keep producing a show that costs them money and not DC itself. While these shows may have been coming to their natural end, it also does coincide very heavily with the new direction DC are going with the big and small screen connected universe that Gunn promised all those months ago. And could he have fit these shows and their current continuity into his new direction? Of course he could. Does he want to? No, and he doesn't have to. If he wants to start from scratch, we've already seen Henry Cavill 
face the music. We've already seen other films that were planned, cut down. Now, last week we talked about Jason Momoa. He's part of the old regime, but it looks like he's sticking around for a different character, but he also said, nobody's taking Aquaman off me. So whatever that means, we don't know. We'll get to see it maybe in a couple of days, maybe in the next few months. We'll see. But sadly, while it is unfortunate that these shows are ending, like a lot of the other changes made over the last few months, if it is all to eventually see a giant connected planned out world, they are sacrifices that have to be made. To one thing in the future, Lady Gaga has confirmed that her time on the Joker sequel has begun. Uh, She took to Instagram. She was thanking the Academy for her Oscar nomination for her song in Top Gun Maverick. And she stated in the caption she was on set. So hopefully it's not going to be too long until we see something from her take on Harley Quinn. We've only seen the one shot of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker again. So hopefully Todd Phillips, the director, will show us what Harley Quinn looks like in his eye on the sequel, which is... Is not due out until the end of 2024. Actually, on Harley, a trailer for a new special has been released off the back of her animated show, Harley Quinn, A Very Problematic Valentine's Day. It's going to hit in a few weeks, understandably, for Valentine's Day, and sees Harley um, hmm, do something really well in the bedroom for Ivy, and it ends up seeing the entire city affected. Oh, you can't possibly be mad at me for getting you off too good. That is not a thing! (sighs) Shit, man, you got a point. Look, I don't mind going blue on this podcast. I just don't know how to properly explain what happens. So maybe check out the trailer for yourself. It's a whole lot of fun, and we're going to get to see it in a couple of weeks' time. And if you haven't seen the show yet, it's on Binge every season. Go check it out. And lastly, in today's news, a new trailer for Shazam! Fury of the Gods was released overnight. I can't do this. Take my powers back. You gave them to me, so you would take them back, right? I spent millennia searching for a worthy champion. You know exactly what must be done. Look, that's just a taste, obviously, and if you haven't seen it, what are you doing listening to me first? Go watch the trailer, then come back. It's big on the action, and as far as a big screen spectacle, it looks like they've upped the original several times over. And if nothing else... Hopefully this is going to be a great sequel. But if nothing else, it looks like it's going to be a farewell to a fun yet short-lived take on the Shazam character. So it hits cinemas March 16th. Now for the second half of the podcast, as we do with each episode of It's All Part of the Plan, we go back to those DC TV shows that I mentioned at the top having faced the cancellation since we brought this podcast back. And they're shows that I never finished that I was always watching, so I'm going to live through them as they were released and talk about them on the podcast just two years after the fact. This week, we are up to episode eight of Batwoman season two, episode five of the debut season of Superman and Lois, and episode four of The Flash season seven, where that season finally gets underway on its own merits, kind of like Batwoman will next week after episode eight, survived much worse, finally wraps up the, can we call it between season storyline? Let's see how it goes. Dear Kate, today's the day I'm supposed to die. Today is the day I kill you, Kate. I spent 11 years waiting for you to find me, but instead, I found you. All right, are they really both writing letters? 
Ryan, I understand. They've been doing that all season with it. But Alice, the villain, wouldn't her version be an imaginary Kate or talking to a mirror and seeing a reflection of her sister coming back to her? Ruby Rose dropping out of the show stops that. I get, I get that. Trust me. But surely there's a better way than Alice putting pen to paper while sitting in a jail cell on a mysterious island called Coriana. Ryan almost does it because she'll never meet Kate. That's why she's been doing it the entire season so far. Alice, though, is writing it expecting to see Kate within hours. What's she going to do? Show it to her? Read it to her face? Anyway, aside from that, I can't complain too much about the start of the episode. As we're finally getting to Coriana! Three parties trying to get there. Three different ways of doing so. And with that, we find out a little bit more about this world's version of Batman. You know, episode one of this season, we see that his Batmobile is little more than just a jet black sports car. And apparently he doesn't have a plane either in this world. This would be a lot easier if we had a bat plane. That's what I've been saying. Okay, I'll get right on that after I work out the kinks in the bat zone. Yeah, that might be a bad thing, but something else that's missing, which is definitely not a bad thing, is a great reference to really, really early Batman. Hurry up! If you miss your window, you're gonna end up in the middle of the ocean, and there's no shark repellent on the utility bill. Why not? Because that's stupid. Now go! Look, I may have hated the start of this episode, with Ryan and Alice both penning letters to Kate, but my favourite scene might have been when they were together, and an exhausted, helpless Ryan, out for revenge so far this season, ended up making the most sense and inflicting the most damage on Alice without lifting so much as a finger but instead deep diving into what really makes Alice, Alice. And here you are, moments away from getting what you want, except it's not actually what you want, is it? You don't want Kate back to kill her. You just want her back. You remember what you said to me on your way out? You said, it's not my fault. But you weren't talking about killing my mom. You were talking about why you are the way you are. Because as dark and screwed up as you are at the end of the day, you're a victim of somebody too. And that tiny sliver of humanity won't let you kill your sister. Because then it is your fault. It was all go from there, though. Ryan wanting two things from Sophia, but choosing the cure-all flower over Kate to test Alice even further and prove that even given the option, Alice would not kill her sister. The episode did, however, look like it was going to take a dip again when it started to cut back to Gotham with Mary and Luke, and the the B-plot just got ridiculous, with so much emphasis being around a pot plant. Look, I I get the nostalgic nature and why Ryan cares for it so much, but for the show to tell the audience, I just got a little bit ridiculous there. Although I can't help but laugh around Mary, nervous about caring for a plant, when she says she couldn't even keep a Tamagotchi alive. The doctor can't keep things alive. Okay. Okay. Now, while I've whinged about nothing happening on this show for three or four episodes, man, do they pack a lot in the second 20 minutes of this episode. Come the end, I have no idea where this show goes now. This episode seems to wrap up almost a mini-series between seasons to properly establish the new Batwoman and farewell the old. Ryan remains unhealed, though, but there's promise of that. And surely Sophia will want revenge for the Desert Roses being destroyed. But yeah, for the most part, it's all wrapped up. We looked for Coriana, we came to Coriana, we love Coriana. It was all worth it, right? 
Sure. All right, back to Superman and Lois with episode five of season one, The Best of Smallville. Look, anyone that's been crying out for a nerdy, cheesy Superman can't complain after this episode. Clark, uncontainably excited over the town's annual Harvest Fest. There's donations, community, and... Oh, the Fishers! Every year they have this sugar bowl stand, they make chocolate bacon. Meanwhile, last week's end scene of Edge wanting to, quote, resurrect an army or something, takes a massive step in this episode. Lois's missing persons case tied to Morgan Edge's all of a sudden over when the man, Derek Powell, suddenly shows up with a dodgy cover story before unleashing his own heat vision in an uncontrollable release, all in the setup for this episode. The plan so far resembles that of... I don't want to bring Marvel into it necessarily, but Iron Man 3's extremist storyline, where a few failed attempts at creating a superpowered army start causing mass destruction. After the so awkward, please tell me it's a ruse kiss between Derek and Edge's right hand, Leslie La, love the alliteration, he gets a reboot in some machine that seems to rely on the red egg looking thing that Edge found in the media shower at the beginning of last week. God, think about that sentence that I just said. Somehow this, and presumably with added ex-kryptonite, whatever that is, gives Derek Superman powers. Okay. There was a nice throwback to Clark's early days as a crime fighter when he stops a burglary as a teenager in a, in a mirror to his future. While young Clark is still working on his confidence, he covers his face and wears an all-dark outfit as opposed to his maskless and very bright and colourful Superman costume as an adult. But the big reveal, Mystery Luther was married to Lois on his alternate Earth. God damn, twist! His reveal to Lois does come with some answers, though. In his first meeting with her, Luther, posing as Marcus, says that he used to work for Luther Corp, allowing Lois to vent her disgust at the mention of his name. So it means that this Superman and Lois have dealt with Lex Luther as we would expect that we know him before, which... After 20 years on the scene, it was to be assumed, but good to get a confirmation as well. It also means that Marcus Luther does indeed not share the face of this world's Lex Luther. So despite no other mentions linking the two so far, these reveals do nothing to suggest that this Superman and Lois are the same we were introduced to in previous Arrowverse appearances. So is this version of the show's Lex Luthor John Cryer? Now, I must mention at this point, present day moment of having watched this show, I must mention that with Michael Cudlitz being cast as Lex Luthor in this world of Superman, I managed to read how in season two, they do confirm that this show does not exist in the same world as the Arrowverse characters and that particular Superman and Lois that we came to know in those appearances. So yeah, while I'm watching this show for the first time, living through, asking questions, I've already kind of got my answers, which sucks. And then in the biggest what about next week, Jordan's mate Tag is back. And he's got powers too. And all of a sudden Morgan Edge is giving powers to everybody. Or is it due to Jordan? I guess that's also for next week. Except that we don't get a next week because this is when the show took a hiatus and we get Supergirl instead. But that'll be for next week's podcast. Right now, The Flash Season 7, Episode 4 Central City Strong. Oh, hey, look who it is, David Desmalchian. Now, first up, I have to talk about Mr. Geek 5000. This guy 
is everywhere. He was in Dune. He was in the Suicide Squad. He's back here on The Flash. And we only got confirmation a few weeks ago that he's back for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but it's playing a different character. Now, if you've heard him talk in real life, you know he loves, oh my God, he loves this stuff. He is a true geek. So while whatever his abracadabra is doing and saying might be a bit meh, I can't help but just enjoy seeing him do it and live in the DC world again. Now, the B-plot sees Iris trying to help out other survivors of the Eva attack, other people that were stuck in the Mirrorverse with their doubles walking around in the real world. Good, that shit would need talking through, and it might be a first for the show. We were told that plan had global implications. But were any other cities experiencing what Central City was dealing with? Maybe not before Team Flash stopped it. Were any other heroes ever going to get involved in a Flash problem that would affect their cities? No. Did I expect the show to ever spend time bringing it up again? Based on past experiences? Also no. So I was glad to see that the show retroactively reinforced the threat level, but by way of the personal cost. It wasn't groundbreaking stuff, let's be honest. But again, even just by bringing it up, the show has done more than it has, almost, ever before. Now, not only the Mirrorverse, but Abracadabra's motive was thanks to Crisis, which... Not that we want to have a hangover from forever, but it's understandable that there would be some repercussions on a personal level. So I do understand his motive and why he was doing what he was doing. But the climax, like I, I get the show's production by this stage is heavily affected by COVID protocols. Limited people on set, certainly limited people sharing the same shots, being so close together. But it's not all that different from the pre-COVID boss battles where there is no depth to the atmosphere. There's no one around, no civilians at immediate threat. There's barely a car on the road in any of these scenes where Abracadabra is showing up in the city. I get that we're not allowed to during COVID times, but it's not something these shows have ever really done in the first place. Moving past that, the show makes another point about Flash ending a fight without fighting, kind of like last week. He did it without throwing a single punch. Yeah, the Flash doesn't need big fists. Got a big heart. But then the show goes and does the thing that it usually saves for the end tag scene and teases a new bad by having them overlap with the current one. And it's going to be, what, She-Hulk from Wish.com? And then the show still goes and gives us a tag with Caitlin and Frost, now two separate people. What does it all mean? We'll see next week. Thanks, CW. Someone we won't see is Superman. As I said, Superman and Lois is off for a few weeks because at this stage of the release, the show made way for the return of Supergirl Season 6. So that is what we will talk about in its place next week on the podcast. Not sure when the next episode of It's All Part of the Plan will be coming out because we're going to be talking about the plan when that news drops from James Gunn. Monday, should we lock it in? First day of a brand new week. Is that the day that James Gunn is going to come out and talk about the new DC Slate, at least the start of it. Love or hate the changes that have come so far, where else are you going to be other than reading and listening to what that new slate is going to be? We'll talk about it next week on It's All Part of the Plan DC Talk here on Get Into Geek for Episode 10. We'll catch you then. Get Into Geek.